Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. I am so glad that you're tuning in. This is George here down in the church office getting ready for Sunday morning. I get here early. Yeah, I've got work to do. You know, I finish up printing out bulletins and, you know, making some final decisions and looking at my sermon. But I, I come and I pray also over today's message, over the, the people in the church and, and over you. Uh, whoever you are listening to my voice, listening to the living word of God, I pray for you that this will uh, land in solid soil of your heart and you'll not only enjoy the message, but get something from the message. It'll help you to grow with your walk with Jesus Christ. You know, today we're in uh, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians and the Apostle Paul is kind of changed directions here a little bit. He's been responding to a letter, the first six chapters, to uh, Chloe, who had wrote to him, or at least the family of Chloe is what we know. Um, now he's addressing other letters that he had received from church members who had questions about marriage, about divorce, about uh, just a lot of things, just a lot of things that he didn't get the time or have the opportunity to address while he was there with them. So they had a lot of questions, and the Apostle Paul is very tactful in the way he answers these questions. This stretch of Scripture here has caused a lot of controversy um, in today's culture. They'd say, well, that's just sexist, and that's just, you know, uh, women's rights have become more than just being subservient to her husband. And I, I get all that. Today's culture is different than the culture that they had then. So the, what, what I ask you to do is listen to this message with an open mind and with common sense. Common sense leads the way here all the way through. Not prejudice, not you know personal rights or women's rights or men's rights or even children's rights. Um, just stay with common sense. And I think you'll hear what is meant to be intended out of this word to help us to grow and know how to live as Christians in this crazy world that we live in. Amen. It'll get started here in just a few minutes. I hope you enjoy this message. God bless. You know, the first thing that I come down after prayer and I sit down next to Joe and she said, I lost my place. You know, it affects us when we're performing or playing for God or preaching his word. I leaned over. I said, honey, I lose my place every Sunday. <laughs> every Sunday. I lose my place. And don't we, Tony? Don't we? We get lost in the, in the music and the words. And the, uh, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful, and, and we do. We get lost sometimes just trying to do what we do for the Lord. Amen? Amen? If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we're going to be in all morning. I do have a few other places I'm going to go to reference. The, all the scriptures will be on the screen, though. Chapter 7 is a turning point. Can you guys hear me okay? Is, is the sound about right? I say that because my ears are plugged and I, I feel like I'm talking inside my head. You can hear me? 
You don't hear the sound system. You know what? I turned them down. I turned it down earlier because we were getting some feedback on the. Uh, it just went up. You did, is that better? Okay. I want to make sure that you can hear. And, and honestly, I don't know because my I've got this ear plugging situation going on. And I'm not sure. I see that. Yes. I I know, but that's not my situation. It's different. But anyway, I can hear. But it's just I, I hear myself talk is what. Drives me crazy. Anyway, getting back to the scripture, if I may. Chapter 7 is a turning point in the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapters 1 through 6, the apostle Paul has been addressing a letter that was sent to him by Chloe. That's all we know about Chloe or from the family of the household of Chloe, where he was told about the many problems that the church was experiencing. Now he's addressing a different letter, a letter that was sent to him by other members of the church. And in this letter, they were, they were asking questions concerning marriage, divorce, living single, and eventually they're going to ask about their personal freedoms. That'll be in chapter 8. So let me set the stage here for chapter 7. You know, in, in the very beginning, when we... Read the Bible, Genesis 128, God says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 2.18 says it is not good for man that man should, should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. As a result, God created woman to be the companion to Adam. Genesis 3.20 says, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. As we examine this picture of family life, in the first few pages of the Bible, we see husband and wife created in the image of God, living together in fellowship with God and with each other. Together they rule the earth committed to their creator and committed to each other. Doesn't that sound wonderful? It does. It's like, Lord, that's where we want to be. This, they existed in a magnanimous, I can't say that word, a permanent relationship. Genesis 2, 4 says, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is the core around, around which civilization was built. For this reason, it's little wonder that Satan has done everything that he could in his power to destroy it. When he was able to persuade Adam and Eve to sin, it destroyed God's perfect ideal of marriage. Today, we're living with the results of that distortion an issue that Paul is addressing in this letter to the church. We have to remember the Christians in Corinth were young in their faith. As we've previously mentioned, they were surrounded by sexual immorality, and they were confused to how to lead a godly life in the midst of all that mess. It's kind of like today, huh? Not far different. Many of the early believers had been saved from paganism, and the matter of Christian marriage was a mystery to them. 
They had many questions, so they did the only thing they knew to do, and that was to write Paul, their father, in the faith. I think it was a very important thing for them to do. So this takes us to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. He says, Now concerning the things which you wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, he's not talking about reaching out and touching with your finger or your hand. He's referring to physical sexual contact. Now, something I do want to say about this as we get into chapter 7. This is probably one of the most controversial things in the church today. If we look at this scripture, which is, this is what I want you to ask you to do, is just use it, hear it with common sense. You know, you're going to hear things like, oh, really, a wife should submit to her husband? That's just not the way it is. Not just, just, and husbands, you're going to submit to your wives. Let's use it and listen to it with common sense. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's, it's clear when we look at it through the eyes of the lens of common sense, it becomes very easy to understand what the Apostle Paul is really trying to address. But it can be confusing. When I first read through this, First thing I do is, you know, probably this evening I'll be reading through chapter 8. I just, I read through and I go, oh, Lord. Really? Again? You're going to give this to me? But then when you start really analyzing and looking at it with just opening your mind and seeing it as their culture was very different than ours. Very different. But that doesn't change the living word of God. That doesn't change how we're to, to treat one another but we need to look at it with common sense. He says in verse 2, he says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife attention due her, and likewise also the wife her husband. How often have you heard about a marriage in trouble, And sexual contact is being denied as a weapon. We hear that in today's culture all the time. We should be able to just agree with the Apostle Paul and move on. But in today's world, we have this thing called equal rights. And I don't just, you know, mean women's equal rights, even though we know that's probably mostly what's being referred here today. The Apostle Paul lays it out in an easy-to-understand language of how we're to treat one another. Verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. The Apostle Paul did. But listen to what he continues to say. He says, and likewise, husbands do not have authority over their his own body, but the wife does. See, there's a prevalent philosophy in Corinth in those days. It's called, it was this thing called dualism. It taught that the soul was important, and thus it was no consequence what people did with their bodies, which meant physical problems could arise, and that it had no effect on a person's soul. Well, the Apostle Paul was fighting against this type of thinking. It does affect our soul. He said in verse 5, 
Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 6, he says, But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Well, wait, wait a minute. What's he saying here? I, I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Well, keep on reading. We got to get the context of what he's saying. Verse 7, he says, So, for I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. He's talking about living single. The Apostle Paul has the ability to live single. And he wishes that we had that ability. But if not, it's okay to get married. He was living a single life and was happy to be able to do so. He considered it a gift from God that he could live that way and give his whole self to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's okay if you don't have that ability to live alone. What is implied is living alone is living a sanctified life without sexual contact. If you live that way, is a gift from God. But if you can't, he's saying, find a wife or a husband and get married. The Bible never says Paul was married or not. Some think that he was at one time based on what he said in 1 Corinthians 9.5. He said, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? as do other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Capius. So it sounds like he's referring to possibly he was married, but I don't believe that he was. If Paul was married, his wife likely passed away, considering he never mentions her in any of these writings. Paul declared that he had a gift of celibacy, which we just read in verse 7. Paul's statement to the unmarried and widows in the Corinth church gives evidence that he was not married at the time of writing this letter. Let's look at verse eight. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good if they remain even as I am. He's saying it's good to remain celibate and to remain alone. Dedicate your life to a living, loving God. Verse nine says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Clearly, he was not married at this time. And whether he was married afterward is also a matter of speculation. Some believe the Apostle Paul was married because history tells us he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which required him to be married. However, Paul never stated, nor the Bible ever told us for sure that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, but he definitely seemed to be on that path. Listen to Galatians 1.14 says, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous in the traditions of my fathers. He's talking about when he was living as, as a Jewish Pharisee. He was very zealous, even to the point where he was having people killed for their believing in Jesus Christ. 
So it, it, the speculation is, well, if he was an actual in Sanhedrin, he had to have been married. And possibly he was. And possibly his wife was not a believer. And when he became to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, she said, I've had enough of that and went the other way. We don't know. That's all speculation. So let's go on with chapter, verse, chapter 7, verse 10. He says, now to the married I command... Yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. Verse 11 says, But if she does depart, let her remain unmarried to be reconciled to her husband, and a husband and a husband not to divorce his wife. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward stuff. He says in verse 12, But to the rest, I... Not the Lord say. So again, he's he's again he's saying this is what I'm I'm telling you. This isn't God speaking, but I'm telling you maybe God's speaking through me. But this is my opinion. If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And verse thirteen it says, and if a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Verse 14 says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. This is some very interesting stuff. It really is. We have to talk about this. We know that family members are not saved because you are, right? right? Are you aware of that? We all have to make a personal confession of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I don't care who you are. But this is very interesting. We got to look at the word, the meaning of sanctified. Sanctified, hegazio in the Greek, it means to make holy, to consecrate, to sanctify. He wasn't saying you were automatically saved if, because of your, your spouse's decision for Christ. But he was saying the blessing that the family receives because of the believing spouse. If you have unsaved family members, you can tell them they are blessed because of you. And that's the truth. You are blessing your family by being a part of that family. Do you guys remember Joseph of old? Joseph, he was sold by his brothers into slavery, thrown into the pit at first. He was left there to die, and then one brother thought, you know, this ain't right. He went and dug him out, got him out of the grave, and then sold him to the, the gypsies that were traveling by. And then he got sold into Potiphar's house. Joseph. But he was a God-fearing, a God-believing. Look at Genesis 39, 2, 5. It says 2 through 5. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He's a slave, and he was sold into slavery, and yet God says he's a successful man. It's an amazing piece of scripture. Verse 3 says, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Verse 4 says, So Joseph found favor in his sight 
and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under Joseph's authority. So it was, and verse 5 says, So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had the Lord had blessed that Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all he had in the house and in the field. The Lord blesses those that are in your house. Can I get an amen? amen. That is the great news. Well, my family members just won't listen. That's all right. Love them. Pray for them. Be good to them. Show them what a Christian person is like. Don't be telling them that they're just idiots. Stop that. Tell them that you love them because the blessing is upon them. Verse 15 says, And if, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. And if a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. In other words, he's saying, don't fight with them. If your unbelieving husband, if your unbelieving wife wants to go, let him go. We live in peace. We're not going to, just because you serve God and they don't, don't be beating them up. If they want to go, let them go. If they want to stay, the blessing will be upon them. And let's hope that things change. Verse 16 says, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Listen, there's always chance. The non-Christian might say there was opportunity to persuade him or her to become a Christian, but you left them. Peter also believed that this was possible. Look at 1 Peter 3.1. says, wives... It's funny that he picks on the wives because it's usually the husbands that are the knuckleheads and want to go off the other way. It says, wives, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. What an amazing scripture. Being a Christian means that you're going to live peaceably. And you're going to live by example. And that example, and more than likely, is what's going to bring your unsaved relative to the Lord. Because you have a love that is just pouring through you that they got to have some of. And it will work. 1 Corinthians 7, 17, verse 17 says, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. We got to think about this for a minute. But God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one. So let him walk. You know, so often people think, if I, I, I've got to change everything to get saved. I've got, you know, when I stop drinking, when I stop smoking, when I stop smoking pot, I'll consider going to church because I'll be a better person. I can't go because I'm a bad person. I'm telling you straight up, come in as you are. Your pot smoking self, come in, sit down, be with us, okay? 
We will love you. God makes the changes. You don't have to clean yourself up. He makes the changes in you. I came to the Lord and I was still smoking and drinking and acting like a fool. And I'm telling you, every time I act like a fool, he would convict me. Actually, he was trying to convince me that I needed to live better, that I needed to change the way. You know what was hardest was changing the way I spoke. I talked like a sailor. It was horrible. Every other word. You know, and it's like, and, and, and I, when I would begin to say those words after coming to the Lord, I'd get sick to my stomach. That, what on earth is wrong with me? Because God was trying to clean me up. He was doing the work. I didn't have to do it. And the more I learned, the more I grew, the more I developed, the more these things began to fall off of me. So he says, walk, let them walk. Come in just the way you are. He says in verse 18, this gets confusing, but it's really not. It's very simple. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anybody called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. You don't have to change your life. Come to him just the way you are. Have an open mind. Listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will make a difference in your life. God wants Christians to be patient and to accept that their, their current state of affairs is God's will for them for the present time that you live. Believers have many differences in marital, national, and social status. But it should make no difference in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual well-being. We just need to be who we are. Can we stop thinking that we got to come to church all cleaned up and pretend to be a good Christian and walk out of here and live like hell? You just wasted your time. Why? Just come in and be who you are. And let the word of God begin to change you. This is a very important issue that happens today. And people think, well, you know, when I, when I get done partying, Pastor, I'll, I'll come see you. Well, why don't you come on in while you're partying and see and taste the love of God? I was there, and I know exactly what you're talking about. The important issue is obedience to God's commandments. How can you be obedient to anything that you don't know? How can I hold you to a standard? Do you have no com comprehension of what it means to really be a Christian? Just come and listen and hear. Even those who were slaves should feel no inferiority. But if they can be free, so much better. Because so many of the people at this time in their culture were slaves. They were owned by other people. But yet they needed to realize they don't have to change that situation. They just need to come to Christ. And if their, if their owners became saved, more than likely the owner was going to set them free. And then they would probably stay and say, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stay right here because of the way they were treated. The more important than the status the world puts upon us is the status before God. Believers who are slaves in the world have the liberty of God's children. And he's talking about in that culture. While believers who are free citizens in the world were God's slaves. Do you realize once you've come to Jesus Christ, you become his property. 
You're not yours anymore. He paid a price for you. And he wants you to succeed in all that he has for you. God has freed all believers from the bondage of sin. They should not allow themselves to be enslaved again through the ways of an ungodly society. Once we become a Christian and once we've learned how to live, I got to be careful myself. I'm your pastor. I have to be careful with what I watch on TV. There's a lot on there. How many of you all got Netflix? Yeah, see, a good portion of us. Half of it I can't watch. There are some really good programs. You got to be very selective of what you're going through. We have to be careful because everything influences everything that, that we're putting in. Everything is, is part of what's influencing us. He goes on to say in verse 19, he says, Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the, God, the commandments of God is what matters. Does everybody understand that? Okay. Circumcised, uncircumcised, it's a subject none of us men like to talk about because it's a horrifying situation. It doesn't matter. Whether you're Jew, whether you're a Mexican-American, whether you're an Indian-American, whether you're whatever you are, it doesn't matter. We're sons and daughters of a living God. What does matter is believing in what he has taught us. Verse 20. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Verse 21. Do not be concerned about it. If you were called, if you can be made free, rather use it. He's talking to the people in that culture. They had slaves. If you were called into to believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a slave, don't, don't look down on yourself because you're a slave. Rather, be proud of it and use it because now you're free in Christ Jesus, even though in society you're still a slave. Well, so many of us could be the same way. Well, Pastor, I'm a slave to drugs and alcohol. I'm a slave to sexual impurity. I'm a slave to a lot of things. You can be free. I know these things exist. I know that they're problems, but you can be free by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In the midst of all that, you can be free. You don't have to clean up first. Just come to him just the way you are. He said in verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. We do not need to go back to what we once came from. Verse 24, it says, Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. We could look at that and think, well, what does he really mean? Well, he's, he was talking to slaves. He was talking to free people. Whatever state you're in, you come to God. Just come as, as you are. Just be who you are. You don't have to change anything. Now the scripture is going to change directions. He's going to, in chapter 25, he's going to address now concerning virgins. And we need to understand what he's talking about this. There's a lot to consider. 
The term virgin typically is referred to young girls in their culture, in our culture. He actually could have been talking to the fathers of these young girls who married very early in their culture and mostly by arranged marriages. It could have been the question that was approached to him. How are we doing in this, Paul? I'm, I'm having my daughter get married at 12 or whatever their culture was allowing. Again, Paul says that God trusts him to make the decisions regarding this type of marriage, whether they should continue in the same state or not, whether they should marry or not. This is one of the cases to put to the Apostle Paul here in Corinthians that they wrote about, that they're writing to him, and to which he returns an answer. So it starts off with verse 25. Now concerning Christians, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. So he's telling them, this isn't necessarily commandment from God, but God trusts me to give you good advice. I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention. Verse 26 says, I therefore suppose that this is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Well, we have to talk about that. What were the present distresses of their times? Well, it could have been a lot of things. Present distress could have been the, the culture that they lived in in that community, which was very open and quite wild. We know that prostitution was a big part of, of the temple of Aphrodite. It was everything that was going on in their culture. Possibly that was the distress. I believe it was immoral living and sexual immorality was part of the big problem, the distress that he was referring to. But he also could have been talking about the distress of a father. Trying to make an honest Christian decision of what to do with his virgin daughter. Should he allow her to marry or should he not? These are, these are, that would, if I was a dad, I'd be in pretty much distress over that. He said, verse 27 says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Loosed. Are you bound, loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. It's interesting how he seems to have changed. Now he's going back from virgins taken to the adults here. He said, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned. But if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So now I realize he is really talking to the young people. He's talking to the kids. If you're bound to a wife, do not look to get away. If you're loose from a wife, do not go and seek another. Even if you do marry, you have not sinned. Even if they, he was referring to these young kids that these fathers were trying to make decisions on. In today's world, we can relate it to a lot to what our kids are going through, trying to pick a, a husband or a wife for themselves. The trouble in the flesh, I think, probably speaks for itself. But this could have had many implications. If he were speaking to the fathers of the young virgins, maybe he was 
saying not to force them so early or letting virgin girls know that it was not a sin for them to be submissive to their husbands because they're now married. Verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. All right. What's he talking about here? The time is short. <laughs> you could take it a lot of ways. I believe we're living in the last days, and so did the Apostle Paul some 2,000 years prior. I think we're living in the last of the last days. But he could have been referring to life itself is really short. Can I get an amen? amen. It's, this thing blows by you, man, like in lightning speed. Time is short. But this, I say, brother, time is short. He is applying his own preferences here to be able to serve God with no limitations of a wife. If you're going to be single, then be single. If you need a wife, then love her like God loved the church. Time is short because no one is promised tomorrow. Yes, we know Jesus is coming, and he is. Well, what about those who aren't ready? You know, I, I, Jim and I were talking about this morning. Man, the Lord needs to come. Yeah, yeah, he does. What's going on in Russia? What's happening in the rest of the world? The, the pandemic. And we're all so sick and tired of, of even looking at the news if you watch it for just a few minutes. We need the Lord to come. Well, what about those who aren't ready? There's a lot of people out there that aren't ready, that aren't well ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and maybe have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to be the ones ready to tell them. So we can't look at it. Time is short. Jesus may come. All I care about is this group of people right here. We're going. We got it. No, we got to do our part. We got to reach the world. Now I lost my place. What scripture am I on? 29? What is that? 29? Am I on 30? Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as they did not possess. All right, Apostle, you're, you're, you're twisting my head here. And he did. First, I read it and I went, what am I supposed to do with that? They that weep, earthly sorrow and joy and wealth are things that are merely transcendent and unreal when compared to eternal. Permanent realities which will soon pass away. What situation are you in that you think you just can't live with today? Eternal life, eternal life is by far more important than what you're going through today. It's so much more important to, to know that we have a God in heaven who loves us. And yes, I'm in the middle of a terrible situation here, but I still believe that my eternity is more important. He says in verse 31, and those who use the world as not missing use, using it, for the form of this world is passing away. For all of us, it is passing away. Verse 32, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, 
how he may please the Lord. Verse 33, but he who is married cares about things of the world of how he may please his wife. Can I get an amen, man? Because that's, <laughs> that's what he's trying to say. If you can live a celibate life and serve God, you are blessed. Because you don't have to worry. He says, I want you to go to, to Europe. I want you to preach the gospel. You get up and you go. You can't do that to a wife. It's like you got, you got someone else to consider. But if you do have a wife, love her the way he has placed out before us. Verse 34, there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, of how she may please her husband. He's telling us how things are. This is not a sin. Wives, Husbands, this is not a sin. This is a natural process. When we're married, we care for, I care about what Joe is going through. I think more than I care about myself. Her diabetes affects me sometimes, I think, more than it does her because I'm constantly asking, what's your sugar level? Where are you at? And she does an amazing job at taking care of it. But that's my concern, and that's the way it should be. We're, We're concerned about one another. It doesn't stop us from preaching the gospel, though. We keep on moving forward. Verse 35, he says, And this I say for your own profit, that I may not may put, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. And that's whether you're married or unmarried. Verse 35 says, and this I say, verse 36 says, but if any man thinks he's behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Common sense is what I say to that. Because it's a very difficult thing to to read and a very difficult thing to try to explain. Just be married. Verse 37, Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has the power of his own will, and has so determined in his heart, and I might add, and her heart, that he may keep his virgin does well. Now, I think what he's talking to is the fathers here. If you, if, if you are confident that what you're doing is well, and you do not have to force her into a, a, an organized marriage, you would do well by not putting her in that situation. So then he gives her in marriage does well. But he who does not give her in marriage does better. Because it's important that once we get married, that there are a new set of circumstances that we're now living with. You know, it's kind of like the the porcupine effect. You know, two porcupines get together and they get married. You know, they have to very carefully, very carefully come together. 
You know, because they got these little stingers that would, would stick one another. It's kind of the porcupine effect. When Joe and I first got come together and we got married, I didn't know her. I didn't live with her before I married her. It was interesting. We had two houses of furniture. Complete sets. Well, her washer and dryer was better than mine, so I'll throw mine out. And my furniture was a little bigger than hers, so we'll keep her and sell that. And I, it was crazy. Trying, we still have stuff in the garage from previous marriages, previous lives. It's an interesting thing. It takes time to come together. Verse 39 says, A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to marry to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. And verse 40 but she is happier if she remains as she is according to my judgment. And I think, and I, think I also have the Spirit of God. Why is he saying that? Because he was living celibate. He was living a single life. And it was so important for him to realize, or important for us to realize, it's okay. If you decide to live your life single, it's okay to be single. If you decide to be married, it's okay to be married. It's a very common sense kind of layout for marriage, that we treat a wife the way I would want to be treated, and she treats me the way she, I treat her the way that she would want to be treated. We do our very best. We do our very best. We're not always successful. No marriage is. But it's important that we serve God together in a unity as one. And if you're single, it's okay to be single and do the very same thing, to serve God in a unity of the Father and the Spirit that lives within you. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's so important. It, it, this is hard stuff to, to teach and to break it apart. But I think common sense is probably the easiest thing to say. Read it with common sense. Read it with an open mind. You know, I could see, you know, in our culture today, People go crazy with this type of scripture. But God has placed it before us of what marriage truly should be. Can I get an amen? amen.